Hi, I'm Steve Thomas. This is Cacophony. Let's dive into some great music. But first, warning. This episode contains large crowds, pantomime stereotypes and great music. We've featured around 150 pieces so far on Cacophony. Don't worry if you haven't heard them all. There's plenty of time and we're not going anywhere. But it's slightly shocking then that I haven't yet played anything by one of the giants of not just 20th century classical music, but of all music, Igor Stravinsky. Time to put that right. And it's fortunately excellent timing as this episode appears in the week of Shrove Tuesday. That's when the action in the piece is set. We're going to listen to Stravinsky's second great ballet, Petrushka. Good things come in threes. There are three main characters in Petrushka, and probably three more in the story of how the ballet came to be. Stravinsky, of course, artist Alexandra Benoit, and Sergei, or Serge Diaghilev, who was responsible for the whole thing. Diaghilev was another Russian, initially an art critic, who'd also worked in theatre. In 1906, he had brought to Paris an exhibition of Russian artworks. It was hugely successful, and created, on its own, a craze for all things Russian. This created space for Diaghilev to present a season of Russian music the next year. And then, in 1909, he launched the Ballet Russe in Paris. Leading Russian dancers and choreographers on their summer holidays from their main jobs in St. Petersburg, his artist friends as designers of sets and costumes, and the latest music, from Russian composers at first, backed up by wealthy backers and high-society Paris contacts. Diaghilev sounds larger than life. The composer Sergei Prokofiev later said of him that he was a giant, undoubtedly the only one whose dimensions increase the more he recedes into the distance. That first season, the ballets featured recent productions from St. Petersburg and new shows using music repurposed for dance from other things and arranged accordingly. Diaghilev hired Igor Stravinsky in his late 20s with just a handful of pieces to his name, to orchestrate some Chopin piano music for the ballet. This was enough to get him a commission. And in 1910, the Firebird shot Stravinsky to fame. It was the first ballet russe show with entirely new music, Diaghilev would go on to commission so many great pieces, and some now less well-known ones, from people like Debussy, Ravel, Sati, De Fire, Prokofiev, but also English composers Constant Lambert and Lord Berners. What happened to them? And then there's Aldous Stravinsky, who would deliver a further seven premieres for the Ballet Russe. The next commission was for the Rite of Spring, what became one of the definitive pieces of 20th century music inspired by a dream in which Stravinsky saw a young girl surrounded by elders dancing herself to death to satisfy the gods. But when Diaghilev came to call to see how he was getting on, he found Stravinsky had got stuck and was now writing something else entirely, inspired by a new vision. I had in mind a distinct picture of a puppet suddenly endowed with life, exasperating the patience of the orchestra with diabolical cascades of arpeggi.
the orchestra in turn retaliates with menacing trumpet blasts. The outcome's a terrific noise, which reaches its climax and ends in the sorrowful and querulous collapse of the poor puppet. So wrote Stravinsky. He played a bit for Diaghilev, and immediately the puppet piece became the next ballet. They sketched out a story and brought in Alexander Benoit, an artist to design sets and costumes, but also to help with the plot because he had a big interest in puppet theatre. He was already one of the Ballet Russe house designers. How lucky, how cool, that there was a puppet specialist in the team already, just waiting for this idea. The Firebird had mixed its drama with a richness and opulence that still looked back over its shoulder to the late 19th century and to Stravinsky's teacher. But Petrushka, I think, sounds very different, very modern, though the story is set around 1830. Though Firebird made Stravinsky famous, it's Petrushka, where he really arrives. We're at the Shrovetide Fair in St Petersburg, the last great splurge of excess before the austerities of Lent kick in. It's Carnival, Mardi Gras. Stravinsky drops us straight in. There's people everywhere. Stalls, amusements, dancing, carousing. It's vibrant, fun, crowded, noisy, chaos. Stravinsky captures it perfectly. He brings out the chaos by constantly shifting the underlying rhythm and throwing in bars of five or seven quavers to upset things. It's hard to get a feel for where the pulse is. It's like we're in the crowd being jolted and jostled and bumped by the physicality of people heading in different directions. Two rival street dancers vie for our attention, one accompanied by an organ grinder and triangle, the other with a tinkly music box. Stravinsky's a bit of a magpie, which is fair enough given that we're at a kind of traditional festival, and already just a few minutes in, we've heard a couple of Russian folk songs and something he picked up from a busker through his hotel room window near Nice. He was happy to borrow anything, and it turns out that most of the really memorable or instantly hummable bits weren't written by him. Unfortunately for Stravinsky, the hotel room window music wasn't an old folk tune, but a pretty recent music hall number. Elle avait un jambe en bois. She had a wooden leg. And it was still in copyright. Sir Emil Spencer picked up 12% of the royalties for Petrushka for many years to come. A drum roll announces the arrival of the magician, the puppet master. The crowd is enraptured by some seductive flute. And then with a tap of his wand, three puppets dance. They are the exotic and handsome Moor, a ballerina, and the staple character of many a puppet show, Petrushka, whom English audiences know as Mr Punch. They're so realistic, it's almost as if they're alive.
The show's over, and the middle scenes of this four-scene show take place backstage in the puppet store. Petrushka seems to have his own room, and he's booted into it, and he's unhappy, depressed, in a bit of a rage. This the piano and trumpet moment from earlier. He loves the ballerina, but she loves him not, having eyes only for the other guy. She comes in, and he tries to win her over, but he gets a bit overexcited, tries a bit too hard. It's no good. The action moves to the Moore's room, where he's lounging exotically, playing with a coconut. Some of the ballet action is best described as of its time. I wouldn't necessarily recommend watching the YouTube videos of the original Ballet Russe production, which is still widely performed even today. Benoit's sets and costumes and the choreography won't appeal if you're sensitive to casual sexism, racism or animal cruelty. It ticks all the boxes for all the wrong reasons. I've watched it so you don't have to. You can just enjoy the music and your imagination. The ballerina joins them all and she plays a tune on a very sophisticated sounding toy trumpet. Then they dance a waltz. If it sounds like a typical piece of Viennese schmaltz, that's because it is. It's another borrowing. Petrushka bursts into the room and there's a fight. But it's not one he's ever going to win and he flees for his life, with the moor following after. In the final scene, we're back out at the fair. All the hustle and bustle from before is still there, perhaps more so as it's now evening and there's been a full day to drink and make merry. We get a quick succession of dances for wet nurses, a peasant and dancing bear, gypsy women, coachmen and grooms, the wet nurses again with the coachmen and the grooms. Everyone's having a great time, and that includes the musicians. I've been lucky to have played Petrushka a couple of times as a horn player. I don't know if it's just me, but sometimes the biggest highs don't come from playing an important solo, or the whole horn section having the big tune. So whilst the little high piercing fanfares at the start of these dances are pretty cool, for me, there's nothing that matches sitting on the loud offbeats while this joyous noise is happening all around you. I really do mean nothing in music matches it for me. Apart from all those other moments that do. A masquerade dance follows, but the fun is interrupted by a sudden commotion as the fighting of the Moor and Petrushka spills out of the puppet theatre into the fair. The Moor wields a sword and Petrushka goes down, dead, to the sound of a dropped tambourine. The crowd are stunned. The police turn up. The magician holds the body aloft. Look, it's just a puppet. Nothing to see here. But as the crowds disperse and night falls, the ghost of Petrushka taunts the magician from the rooftops, leaving us feeling uneasy and with a mystery 
Cool, that's a lot of plot, huh? Petrushka is brilliant. An action-packed half-hour. With music that's a bit jagged, a bit edgy, muscular and vital, yet still finds time for moments of pathos and depths of feeling. It's also full of good tunes. Not all of them Stravinsky's own, but the genius of orchestrating and including them is all his. You'll have gathered that I absolutely love it, and I hope you do too. Let's have a listen. Click on the link in the show notes for a complete performance, and then tell me what you think. You can comment at cacophonyonline.com or leave a voice message. Know anyone who'd enjoy this or needs some more great music in their life? And who doesn't? Send them a message and get them listening to Cacophony, and share it widely on social media too, please. Do you like to help out? Cacophony relies on your generosity and would be very grateful for any contribution you can make via our page at coffee.com. Enjoy Petrushka, come back for more next time, and thanks for listening. <laughs>